Hey everybody, thank you for joining episode 27 of The Green Life. Today's episode is fantastic. I have a guest who is a ball of energy, an amazing source of information, and a wonderful teacher explaining things in a way that is beautiful. His name is Dr. Michael Clapper. Dr. Clapper believes that proper nutrition through a whole food, plant-based diet, and a balanced lifestyle are essential for health and in many cases can make the difference between healing an illness and just treating its symptoms. He is really the father of lifestyle medicine. So Dr. Clapper is not just an amazing clinician, internationally recognized teacher, sought after speaker on diet and health, he also spent his time educating the next generation of doctors. Yes, because he knows that sadly medical school doesn't offer a lot of knowledge and information on nutrition, especially plant-based nutrition, and that's a way for doctors to really heal their patients and feel good about the medicine that they're practicing. Dr. Michael Clapper has been practicing medicine since 1972, and he really changed the direction of his career in medicine when he became vegan in 1981. So he's been vegan for about 40, 41 years. And he really embodies this approach of lifestyle and diet to getting healthier. He's 75 now, and he's super healthy, and he looks fantastic, and his energy is amazing. So I cannot wait to dive into this episode talking about lifestyle medicine. Welcome, Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper, thank you so much for being on The Green Life today. What an honor to have you here. How are you? Oh, I'm just fine. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you for helping to get this important word out. Yeah, my pleasure. And I really love your work. And I think this is really important information. So today we're going to talk about lifestyle medicine, which I think you're a champion on. And there are so many angles uh, to go around. And before we start, I know most people know you, but just in case someone is new to plant-based living and they are just getting to know you, should we give them a little background about your journey when you became plant-based and your work? Sure. Uh, well, I'm a classically trained Western physician. I graduated from the University of Illinois College of Medicine in Chicago back in the early 70s. For the first 10 years of my medical career, I practiced blood and guts medicine in emergency rooms, operating rooms, uh, urgent care clinics. Uh, but in 1981, while I was training to be an anesthesiologist, I had some uh, epiphanies in the operating room uh, as I was I was on the cardiovascular anesthesia service, uh, uh, dealing with people's hearts and blood vessels. And uh, every day I'm putting people to sleep and watch surgeons open up their chest and open up the arteries in their heart and pull this yellow guck out of their arteries that was causing the heart attacks and strokes. And uh, my father died of that. I know I have those genes. And I knew I was going to be laying on that operating table with that striker saw going out my chest. I didn't want that. So I changed my diet to a plant-based diet. There were already medical studies in the literature showing that you can melt this stuff away with a plant-based diet. My body loved it. Uh, within 12 weeks, a 10 kilo spare tire of fat melted off my waist. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great uh, waking up in a nice lean body every day. And at that point, I knew I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist and spend my career putting people to sleep. I'd rather go back to general practice and help them wake up. And so I did. Uh, and uh, that was 1981. I've been a plant-based physician ever since. My uh, uh, patients experience the same wonderful changes I did. They get leaner, their high blood pressure goes down, their cholesterols go down. And I get to get them off their medications. I learned the whole art of de-prescribing where you get to back people down off these medicines instead of always raising them up. And uh, so clearly the majority of, of diseases that uh, people, that my colleagues spend their professional lives treating, the obesity, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the clogged arteries, they're 99% uh, from what people are eating and how they're living their lives, like not, not enough sleep, too much stress, et cetera. And uh, the beauty of lifestyle medicine is that it addresses all the underlying causes of these diseases and I'm the happiest doctor I know. My uh, my patients get healthy right before my eyes. It's, it's the most exciting transformation in medicine. And the last part of the uh, puzzle is that uh, in, my, in these last several years of my career, I realized 
somebody needs to tell the medical students this. Why didn't somebody tell me this in medical school, that these are reversible diseases? I was told the best you could do is manage their high blood pressure, manage their diabetes, and they're all getting more obese and more sick and having their strokes. Why didn't somebody tell me you would like to reverse your diabetes, like to reverse your high blood pressure? Well, lifestyle medicine can do exactly that. And so I've been working with the medical students at, at uh, medical schools across North America, Australia, New Zealand. I was in Poland, Lithuania, uh, delivering this message that a plant-based diet is square one. You know, you know uh, sleep and exercise, they're all important. But first and foremost is the food you are sending through your bloodstream every few hours. If it's full of meat and cheese and oil and sugar, uh, you can't be healthy doing that. You need a whole food plant-based diet like we were designed to run on. And if you do that uh, for your patient, you're going to see these diseases go away. And that's an exciting message that we're trying to deliver to medical students through our Moving Medicine Forward initiative. If people like to learn more about it, they can go to my website, drclapper.com, and click on Moving Medicine Forward, and you'll see what we're doing. So my focus these days is with my medical patients, of course, to help them get healthier, but also to educate the medical students and the practicing physicians uh, who are getting so disillusioned that they're all leading medicine. Ah, they're all getting fatter and sicker. That's right, doctor. If you don't talk to them about what they're eating and their lifestyle, that's what you're going to see. But it doesn't have to be like that. A new era of medicine is dawning, and we're helping to make that dawning happen as soon as possible. And podcasts like this play a great role in just in opening people's minds. Oh, gee, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So I'm very happy to have this opportunity to speak with you. Oh, thank you. And you really hit the nail. And it's sad. I mean, it's important to educate our physicians because I think you had a rhetorical question there. Why isn't it taught at medical school? Uh, we know that sadly, um, pharmaceutical companies are very, very powerful and they sponsor a lot of the programs that have to do with medicine. So it's not in their best interest to actually give the message that you can heal without their drugs. But uh, at the same, on the same token there are doctors that are really getting discouraged as you say because they're like i want to get people better i don't i didn't not get into medicine to see people fail and they don't have the tools so your work is absolutely necessary and fantastic and i'm really happy that this is happening how is the i mean you've been teaching it in many universities in north america europe australia but how is the receipt of this um, new program being um, you know, accepted? Because I don't know if all the universities are open to it or did you get a little bit of pushback? Oh, that's a very uh, insightful question. And as you correctly surmised, the, the, there's a tremendous establishment in place to keep medicine just like it is, just drugs and surgery. That, that's all that we have to offer patients. And... Uh, and the administrations, they don't want to hear what, what I'm preaching here. Uh, but So we just go around them. It's the medical students who invite me in. In every medical school class now, uh, there's 30, 20, 30, 40 students who've seen movies like Forks Over Knives and What the Health and Cowspiracy. The light is already on in these mm. young people's heads. And they're the ones who invite me in. And kind of a, a, a unforeseen gift from the COVID virus. Uh, it made us go online. And now I'm reaching more medical students than ever. And so uh, medical schools around the world actually are, uh, I just spoke in Innsbruck, Austria last week uh, to medical students. Um, so the word is getting out and we're trying to, uh, as you say, reach the students before pharmacosclerosis sets into their brain. Yeah. You know, that, uh, <laughs> But the... Uh, and there's always some professors in the back of the room shaking their head, oh, this is too radical, and my patients will never do this. But the students know. Many of them are already vegan. Many of them have, have relatives who, who've transformed their diet. They've seen this happening. Uh, so, so we're going right to the students. And, and the, the old guard that resists it, they, they, time is on our side here. They exit stage right on mm -hmm. the conveyor belt there. And these new young doctors... <laughs> they become the professors in a few years and uh, they're the ones we're trying to awaken. So, so the reception from the students has been really good. And we, at every medical school, there's usually a, a surgeon or an internist or cardiologist who's already plant-based 
and they, they cheer us on. And so Amazing. it's starting to happen from the bottom up. We're, we're making progress. Yeah, like with everything, grassroots is the way to go. Indeed. And with this, this beautiful medium, you can reach a lot of people and educate yeah. them at once. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm really happy. The podcast is very new, but it's growing steadily. And so that's good news. And I'm trying to really target people that don't know about it, because, of course, we don't want to preach to the choir. So we want to make sure that new people have this uh, light bulb. I mean, I, I just got a question from one of my clients that asked me about her husband um, having high cholesterol. And I said, well, I cannot give you the answer you like, but the only way you're going to lower that cholesterol is by going on a wholesome plant-based low fat diet so if you want to talk about it i'm happy but if you want me to give you some herbs that will lower it nothing can offset your diet because that's the thing you do the most every day so you know Indeed. and the, uh, best, yeah. best way to lower your, the best way to lower your cholesterol is stop eating it stop yeah. eating anybody else's cholesterol you know yeah I mean? so can we actually tap into cholesterol because i think people are confused about it because a lot of people don't even know that we actually make it so they really don't understand how that is this. Uh, what, are, what are we going to do with our cholesterol? It's so important, of course. Then we had also the the egg companies um, and dairy companies that were like, oh, "We need cholesterol for your sex hormones." Yes, but we make it. So can you just explain how that works? And also, so people are clear, you know, about the difference between the one we make and how it helps, and the one that we actually ingest. Indeed, such an important question. Uh, as you're saying. Cholesterol is not an evil molecule that our liver is making it right now as we speak. And there's a good reason for that. Our adrenal glands uh, use cholesterol to turn into cortisol and aldosterone and vital hormones that we need to, to survive. Uh, your liver uses cholesterol to turn into bile so we can absorb our fats. Uh, you're, you have ovaries and they use cholesterol to make estrogens, uh, guys, uh, testicles, um, they use cholesterol to make testosterone. It's not an evil molecule to be obliterated and avoided. But as you say, our liver makes all that we need. We have to trust our liver. The problem is, and I'm sorry for the little chemistry here, but it's oxidized cholesterol. What does that mean? To oxidize cholesterol is to rip electrons off of it. Uh, and that turns it into cholesterol peroxides. And those are the particles that invade the artery walls uh, that uh, sets off the plaque formation that leads to heart attacks and strokes. Well, what, what's oxidized cholesterol? What oxidized cholesterol? Cooking the meat, putting that chicken breast under the broiler, uh, broiling the steak, grilling the hot dog and the hamburger. That, that oxidizes the cholesterol. And so it's the oxidized animal cholesterol that people are eating that, that goes into their artery walls and sets off the plaque formation. Um, I have a... Uh, a short video on this on my website, drclapper.com. Uh, click Beyond Cholesterol and watch that video. And I explain the difference between what your liver, your own liver is making versus uh, cow cholesterol and chicken cholesterol and oxidized pig cholesterol in your bloodstream. So that's why the folks who eat only plant-based uh, don't damage their arteries. The um, uh, the gorillas out in the wild are eating a high carbohydrate diet all day, leaves and fruit and leaves and fruit. And they, their arteries are clean. They, they, don't, they don't develop diabetes. They don't develop uh, clogged arteries. And we have basically the same digestive system and circulatory system that they have. So we should mm -hmm. take a clue from that. It's when we start killing and eating and cooking animals that we create all the uh, problems inside our own systems there. But a whole food plant-based diet not only will protect our arteries, it'll actually melt away the plaque on the inside of the artery walls. It can actually reverse this, this fatal disease. So I'm glad that you made the point that uh, cholesterol is not the enemy. It's the oxidized cholesterol, uh, mostly from the, uh, uh, from the uh, animals that people are eating. Now, if a person is um, eating a lot of fried foods, uh, a lot of sugars, a lot of processed foods, um, they can start oxidizing their own cholesterol that their liver is making. Uh, and so it's not, there's no reason to uh, say, well, if it's vegan, it's, it's healthy. Not necessarily. If it's cooked and it's processed and fried and full of uh, chemicals, now you'll wind up oxidizing your own cholesterol there and open the door to the, to the same disease. So whole food, plant-based, you know, the, Eat foods like you could recognize them growing in the garden. Oh, there's a tomato. There's a cucumber. That's what you want to eat. Okay, whole grains and nuts and seeds and legumes, etc. 
So um, hopefully people can see that cholesterol is not the enemy, it's the oxidized cholesterol uh, that we get from cooking meat. Yeah, you organically actually segued in the, into my next question because I was going to ask you your opinion on um, why certain vegans still have are overweight and also have high cholesterol uh, and, and another array of diseases. They can have diabetes and so on. I mean, I, I'm a big um, spokesperson for making yourself healthy or, or sick. Um, one of the things I, I'm, ashamed, I'm ashamed to say that before I went plant-based in uh, 2013, I, you know, I studied nutrition classically, so I was taught that we needed these proteins from our meat and that the chicken is the better meat. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I was so resistant to, to change and I, you know, I understand, so I understand the kind of um, brainwashing around a certain topic because that's the message we get from TV, from our parents and from so, the medical system and so on. But uh, so when I snapped out of it by listening to Dr. Barnard at... Um, and I was starting to become a coach, actually. Um, I I thought, well, my my you know my my sugar is too too high. My doctor never said pre-diabetic, but actually I was pre-diabetic. I uh, was in that range, but they said, like, eh, it's too high. You have to lower it without guidance. So when I heard uh, Dr. Bernard speak about the fat that is in the muscle cells and so creating insulin resistance, it made sense. And I'm like, I'm gonna try this, and I really got better. And even my cholesterol went down um, uh, to a, a optimal range. And um, I really thrived for many years until. 2016 when uh, we moved from London to Portugal and it was a very stressful, well it wasn't then, but we started the process, we had a lot of stuff going on in London and um, I just went through a lot of emotional stress and by the time we got here when we basically recuperated a farmhouse that we transformed where we live now and we grow our food and we went back to grassroots. But, to do that, it was really hardcore and I was the one managing the project because I sort of speak a little bit of Latin languages. So I, I managed to communicate with the builders. My husband is American. is like, I cannot do this. <laughs> so uh, it was really stressful and a lot of stuff came up. And I think also as I'm aging, um, not aging and like getting old, but as I'm maturing and I'm, I turned 40, like a lot of stuff came up for me. Um, and I just made myself sick on a vegan diet, but I stopped eating solely for food, uh, whole food. So I was eating a lot of, um, you know, cheeses that were processed and so high fat food. And um, the fat and the sugar cart like combination, I think for me, that was just, and so I actually, yeah, you, you are I, I agreeing. So I love you to talk about that combo as to why, although something is vegan, it's not necessarily better for you, it could be actually worse than, um, than adding, having animals in your diet, if you're eating in brackets clean so because a lot of vegans just you know eat all this processed food just because there is a bee on it and I know I got myself sick and I gave myself type 2 diabetes which I'm reversing now so I know that I can make myself healthy but I know I can make myself very sick that was a revelation yes and your nutritional knowledge is very impressive and you hit upon some very important points um, you mentioned the fat-sugar combination. That's really a key because I've got quite a number of vegans who are overweight. Uh, and one of the main drivers of that, they, hey, I'm supposed to be vegans or skinny. Why, why am I still carrying all this weight? Um, well, as you mentioned, our body can burn two kinds of fuels, sugars, which is our primary fuel, glucose. Um, but we can also burn fats as an emergency fuel if there are no sugars around and if we're in famine time, we can burn fat stored on our body. And so uh, sugar is the cleaner burning fuel. It's easier to blow apart a glucose ring and harvest the energy than, than metabolize these long chain fats that requires a lot of enzyme steps. So given the choice, if you eat sugars and fats at the same time, that fat-sugar combo, the body says, hmm, sugars, fats, oh, let's burn that sugar right now. We'll store that fat for later. And so it's that fat-sugar combination that makes the fat stick to you. Uh, a, if you're just eating rice and potatoes and green vegetables, you're going to wind up lean. Now, even if you eat more calories than you burn, uh, that, that your muscles use during the day. Uh, in the evening, your blood temperature, your body temperature go up a quarter of a degree. You'll stick your foot out from under the covers and you'll radiate that extra calories off to, to space there. It doesn't turn into fat. 
But if you eat the sugars and the fat at the same time, as I said, the oxidative priority is to burn the sugar first and store the fats. So think about how many uh, pitfalls there are in the vegan diet. You're pouring oil on your pasta. You are creating that fat-sugar combination. You'll burn the sugar in the pasta and you'll store the oil, the fat and the oil for later. Um, uh, vegan ice cream is fat and sugar. All ice cream is fat and sugar. Uh, certainly dairy ice cream is. But even the vegan ice creams, they're sugar from the agave or whatever it is. And the fat is the cashew oil or whatever it is. Uh, but again, there's that fat-sugar combination. Uh, a baked potato with uh, a vegan margarine on it, if you're recreating that fat-sugar combination. Uh, and so uh, so that's the, the saboteur that lurks uh, if people are just eating all this vegan junk food. And as you mentioned, the fat starts getting stored in the muscle cells and interfering with insulin action. And you can induce uh, type 2 diabetes uh, on yourself there. Fortunately, this is all reversible. You can eat fat. Fats are not the enemy. We need some fat every day. Mm -hmm. But one, get it out of whole foods. Get it out of walnuts and nuts and flax seeds and uh, uh, and uh, and whole olives. Uh, but not out of glass bottle. Don't just pour liquid fat on your food there. Uh, but. Uh, uh, if you're going to be eating fatty foods, you want to put uh, eat walnuts or tahini, don't eat it with a starchy vegetable. Put it on your salad in the evening. Put it on your steamed vegetables. But have, have your potatoes and your pasta at noontime. Let your body metabolize those carbohydrates and have your fats in the evening. Um, the, the tahini dressing on you, on your on your greens there. But again, this is only for your listeners who need to lose weight. If you're already a healthy weight, don't drive yourself crazy over this. Oh, fat, sugar, fat. We can handle, if you're a normal weight, you can handle a little bit of uh, fat and sugar, you know, as far as you want to put some some nuts on your uh, 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 fatty dressing on a on some uh, on a, a sweet potato, say. But uh, but if you're trying to lose weight, be aware of that fat sugar combination and avoid it. Uh, allow about four hours. It takes about four hours to burn a glucose load off. So as I said, have your potatoes or your pasta at noon. Let the afternoon go by. Have your tahini dressing and your uh, uh, and your uh, fatty uh, desserts or whatever uh, in, uh, later in the evening. Oh, I love that you, th this is so clear. And I think it's something that it really doesn't get explained much. I, I have not heard many people talk about mm -hmm. this uh, relationship. So thank you for that. And it takes me into another question. Um, this understanding, which is not talked about, is it the foundation as to why a lot of people are anti-carbs and they like, you cannot eat carbs. And then they go on these keto diets or um, paleo diets, which, you know, short term might even work if, they are eating a really bad Western junk food diet and then they clean it up. But what are the repercussions of going on such a diet for a long period of time? That's the key point. Um, ketosis, which is the, um, the state of, uh, of uh, having these molecules called ketones in your blood uh, from burning fat. When you shift your body to basically living off the stored fat in your body or the fats that you're eating, um, these ketones show up in the bloodstream. And for a few days, they do good things. They suppress appetite. People lose weight. Um, that can lower blood pressure down. Um, and so people get seduced by these early changes. And the keto folks and the paleo folks, they see they're losing weight. Their blood pressure is going down. A healthy diet. We all ought to be eating keto. Just eat your, just eat flesh and, and occasional vegetables there. A little grass growing out of the mouth of the cave there, like the caveman did. Uh, but basically, <laughs> live on mammoth meat, you know. Um, well, I tell the, my colleagues, do not be seduced by these early changes. Yes, it's largely due to the weight loss. You'll see reduction in blood pressure, et cetera. But if you think that uh, packing your intestines full of decaying animal flesh two, three times a day is healthy, uh, think again. This is a recipe for colon cancer. There's a recipe you're going to spawn microbes in the gut that invade the gut wall and set off colitis, set off Crohn's disease. The The trimethylamine oxide that's going to be generated drives cholesterol into the artery walls, uh, especially in the brain. This is a, a recipe for dementia, for heart attacks, for strokes. This is a diet of death. 
um, to, you know, especially we're here in America, you know, if a little is good, more must be better, you know, and if a couple of days of ketosis is better, then I'll stay in ketosis a month, I'll stay in there two months. Well, ketosis is a state of acidosis. These ketones are acidic. And to keep yourself in a state of low-grade acidosis week after week after week, it's hard on the kidneys. It's hard on the bones. It's hard on the liver. Uh, this is, it's, it's, a, it's an emergency state. Uh, that I'm sure our ancient foraging ancestors, you know, there were many times when four or five days would go by before they found the next berry bush with fruit on it, or they found, you know, some roots that they could dig up. And the body is used to slipping into ketosis for a few days. And that's a good thing. And and I think it, it's healthy for all of us, you know, every couple of months, do do a five-day water fast or whatever. I think it cleans you out. It's a good thing to be in, uh, to put your toe in the ketosis pool, you know, for a short period of time. But don't linger there. This is a, this is not a state of health. And uh, people shouldn't be seduced by these early changes. They love, oh, I can eat all the steak I want. Uh, the, we are not mountain lions, you know, we're not yeah. cougars. And, uh, and this is a recipe for disease if you continue to do that. It's a... It's a fad that I hope exits soon off our awareness stage there. Well, you know, they repackage it all the time to make it more appealing. And um, the truth is also, let's if we have to be rational, even if our ancestors used to eat meat and, and forage for the rest, they definitely didn't eat meat every day because they had to hunt for it. They did not go to the butcher. <laughs> so hey, that's the hard work. <laughs> Absolutely. Most hunts were unsuccessful. Most times the guys came back empty-handed. If they did drag a carcass into a camp there, there was no refrigeration. It rotted within days. Yeah. Uh, it became toxic uh, to think that you know the, that every man every caveman had a mastodon in the freezer and spent all day eating mammoth meat is a, is a mirage it's a myth uh, it's nonsense and uh, it turns out uh, most of the calories brought into the paleolithic camps were gathered by the women who spent all day foraging for the starchy roots and tubers and gathering nuts, berries, edible grasses. That's what our small mouths and our flat grinding molar teeth and our rotary jaw joints are, are really meant to digest. We are starchivores. And uh, when you look at the fossilized fecal droppings of the caveman, they were massive. These people were eating huge amounts of fiber uh, all, all day there. They, uh, this idea that, you know, if you're a caveman, you eat meat all day. It is, it's nonsense and, and, it's, and it's dangerous. And, and uh, we were paying the price not only uh, in our personal health, but uh, the planet is paying the price for yeah. large-scale industrial agriculture. The, the days of meat-eating are over. No matter what the caveman ate, it doesn't matter anymore. We, we've used fishing up. We've used flesh eating up. It's time to turn the page. If we want to stay alive on this planet, our, our, our individuals and our species have to adopt a whole food plant-based diet uh, or else uh, we're just not going to survive. Yeah, I also add to the fact that I think we need to all start in our capacity as much as we can, whether it's in community gardens or in our own gardens to grow our food, because yes. the, um, the the food supply is also under attack by the people that have heavy interest, even in the vegan uh, you know, movements by creating these alternatives to meat that are fake meats, but are full of stuff that you should not be eating. So it's a very interesting paradox because they basically always find a way to kind of go in and try to take people away from the actual um, you know, solution. Like uh, stay, you can become vegan, but do it this way. Then you still need a doctor. Um, so it's very, very yeah. It's sad because we we have to be so skeptical about the world. But you know, after a while, you can't be living in uh, La La Land thinking it's okay, everything is fine, and the government has my best interest. It, sadly, they proved that many, many times that they don't, and we have to just really be smart. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. And when I see the countryside in your country and my country is burning up with these wildfires, yeah. I see the hand of the meat industry, the meat production, because we've been cutting down the forests, which decreases the rainfall, which drives the drought. Why are we cutting down the forest to make cropland and grazing land for beef cattle? Mm. And it's our beef habit that's driving so much of the, of the adverse climate change we're dealing with now. And uh, again, a plant-based diet will save our future as well as our arteries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned um, talking about this um, 
you know, having starches and making sure we have enough fiber. What is the optimal amount of fiber that a person should have? Because I think we also are obsessed about protein and uh, we forget that actually we are totally under fibered. Um, so what's the right amount for a person in general to have uh, per day? Oh, well, uh, interesting question. Um, you know, I can throw out a number that we're talking about 25 grams of fiber. Uh, and that's, you know, a handful of pennies worth there. Uh, but the beauty of, again, you know, it's become almost one word, whole food plant-based. But really, if you eat a whole food diet based on whole plant foods in their natural form, you, you can't the soups and the salads and steamed veggies and the beans and the grains, you a full day of eating that gives you 2,000 calories is going to give you 20 grams, 30 grams of high-grade fiber. So just mm. eat your, your calories in the form of whole plant foods and the fiber will take care of itself. But once you get into flour products and desserts and uh, and processed foods, there goes the fiber there. So uh, so as long as it's in its whole food form, uh, you, the, um, the, the fiber pretty much takes care of itself. Yeah, and you mentioned flour. So a lot of, obviously, we love our bread um, in general. Although since I stopped eating it, I feel so much better. Um, there are ways to make, you know, in a way, raw or healthier bread by just soaking um, buckwheat um, groats. And then you can just um, mix it together. And it's got a way to just become very gelatinous. And it really creates a great bread uh, that you can actually put zucchini into and so on. So there are ways to do this in a, in a way that is still whole foods. But a lot of people think, well, it's, it's you know, whole wheat flour. Is it okay to eat? What What is your opinion on that? Well, the the term whole wheat flour has been <laughs> co-opted. Uh, the truth is, at least in America here, uh, uh, it's uh, uh, pretty much standard white flour. They, it just hasn't been bleached yet. Uh, and there mm. might be a little bit of extra fiber in it. Uh, but uh, it's generally highly processed uh, uh, uh flour that will raise your blood sugar and raise your insulin levels, etc. Uh, like you, I pretty much stopped eating bread. It makes me feel I have a bowling ball in my stomach when I eat it. Um, uh, when my when we want a sandwich, we usually take out now a leaf of romaine lettuce or collards and put a big glop of hummus on it and some carrot sticks and cucumber slices, avocado slices, and wrap it up into a lettuce wrap. And we get the sandwich experience without the actual bread there. And and like you, when we do want uh, actual bread, it's this dark whole grain bread. You can see the grain, the whole grain mm. in the face of the of the slice of bread there. But even then, a couple slices a week is about all, all we would have there. Uh, so uh, if you're going to be eating any kind of flour products, uh, go for the really whole grain, not whole wheat, but go for whole grain breads where you can actually see the grain there. And, and in general, see if you can uh, reduce the amount of uh, flour products in general. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you actually, so talking about the ketones in our body, um, I know you've been um, working with the fasting and I'm not talking about three or five days, but I'm actually talking about a 40 day fast. So a longer term fast, which uh, obviously you said sometimes, you know, we, we can uh, dip our toes into the ketone pool, but then we have to be careful. So what is the difference? And also how people, because a lot of people are getting into fasting now, whether it's intermittent fasting every day for 16 hours, or it's actually three day fast or five day fast, which they can generally do at home, but people don't want to do it longer. Can What what are the, the differences? And also what are the things that people should think about, know, and also be careful with? Um, and when is it time to actually do it with a medical professional assisting? Wow, you asked such excellent questions, and, and you touched on some important points there. Um, I, if you're basically a healthy person, you're not taking medications, uh, you don't have any serious medical problems, you're not a type 1 diabetic, whatever, uh, it's absolutely reasonable to uh, to give your body a break from eating food. Or kind of, you know, well, the, all, when we sleep, all our the systems get to rest, our, our nervous system, our, our muscles, but not our digestive system. We eat a big dinner and all night while we're sleeping, our digestive system is working for us. We never let it rest. Well, a fast is a lovely way to let all your systems rest. And a, a two-day, three-day fast, a weekend fast. I've got patients who every other weekend just drink vegetable broth or water. And it's a lovely thing to do, assuming they're uh, they're not on medications. Uh, and so um, uh, those type of periodic fasts, uh, up to five days at home. And I don't want to go over five days, but a three-day fast, four-day fast um, uh, is reasonable for healthy people. 
uh, that window of eating to get it down. Uh, uh, Dr. Walter Longo now tells us that a 12-hour window, you know, stop eating at, uh, you know, at seven in the evening and uh, put off breakfast as long as you can till, until eight or nine in the morning. Uh, I guess that's a few more than 12 hours, but uh, no reason to go that full uh, 16 or 18 hours. Uh, but uh, it's uh, just in general, uh, eat just maybe twice a day instead of three times a day, though that's a generally healthy way to get the advantages of, of fasting. Uh, now, um, uh, but you're asking about these long fasts. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, for eight and a half years, I worked at True North Health Center in California, uh, and we uh, we supervise long fasts, two, three, four week fasts or longer. Uh, these uh, these are medical fasts for for to reverse serious medical diseases. These are people with runaway high blood pressure that just is not responding to medication, um, uh, type two diabetes that uh, that are that is just resistant to uh, treatment. Uh, people with inflammatory diseases, uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, a long fast has a very powerful anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, and uh, can I've seen such dramatic improvements in, in, uh, in these uh, serious inflammatory diseases. But here you go more than five days. You better have somebody around who knows what they're looking at there. Uh, you need blood tests once a week to make sure the kidneys aren't getting in trouble. Uh, you need... Uh, 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 someone checking on you every day, check blood pressure, check your heart rhythm, uh, make sure you're not getting ready to vomit. Uh, there's an art to supervising a long medical fast. And, uh, and if you want to, if you've got a condition that you think will res respond to medical fasting, uh, then find a, a fasting center or doctor who is able to supervise you. Um, I'm, uh, I'm able to supervise a longish fast, a couple week fast, um, uh, long distance now, uh, electronically. Now, but again, we've got blood tests before. We get blood tests once a week. I want to see these folks on the screen every morning. How are you doing? Any nausea, any headache? Uh, we, it has to be medically supervised. So fasting can have a very powerful effect, but it's, uh, uh, but it's got to be done with, with respect and be done uh, properly if, if you're going over four or five days at home. And if somebody starts a fast um, because they need to, it's medical um, necessary, medically necessary, and they're also deficient in some nutrients, can you do a fast and take some supplements in any form or you don't think it's necessary? Uh, it's really not necessary. Uh, the body, we have, we have stored vitamins and minerals in our tissues there that we're able to draw on during the fast. Uh, and uh, it's important we have patients who are on medications. You've got to stop all medications. They get potentiated on a fast. They're more powerful. So if you're on high blood pressure medications, you don't want to be taking them during a fast. That blood pressure is going to drop dangerously low. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you've got high blood, you're, you're taking medicine, for high blood sugars, and you don't want to be taking those on a fast. You'll wind up hypoglycemic. So medicines get potentiated, and there's a good, good likelihood that some of these vitamins and minerals would too. So for just a few days or a week or two, you're not going to wind up vitamin deficient. To, uh, it's best to stop everything during a fast. Uh, if you're on medicines, you can't stop. If you're on thyroid medications, uh, then we cut the dose in half during the fast and, and restore it to full dosage after the fast. Um, if you're on... Um, uh, say medicines for uh, uh, psychological issues, if you're on antidepressants or whatever, and you can't stop those, you should not do a water fast. You should do a juice cleanse so you don't go into ketosis, so you don't get these medicines uh, uh, potentiated. And again, it helps to talk to a doctor who's experienced in fasting uh, supervision to uh, to help guide you if, if you're on uh, medications or you have these complex issues. Uh, if people would like to contact me or doctors who are knowledgeable about this, uh, we do telemedicine at plantbasedtelehealth.com. I'm sure Wonderful. you put down the, uh, yeah, we'll put in the, show, uh, notes. In the show notes, sir. Uh, but uh, we do consultations for people around the world. I've got lots of patients in Europe and Asia and Australia. So uh, you can arrange a uh, consultation with me or uh, any of my colleagues at plantbasedtelehealth.com and we can, we can give you guidance on, on how to do a fast. Uh, that is so accessible because uh, a lot of the times locally, you might not find a doctor that even knows about this most of the time, really. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very good. And um, 
Um, my next question was about actually you mentioned thyroid and um, you know for people for with people for people with Hashimoto's that is an autoimmune disease have you seen any massive improvement or even a reversal by doing things like a longer fast? I wish I could say yes. Uh, the Hashimoto's is one of those conditions that I have to fight the urge to run the other way when I see Hashimoto's on the, on the sheet there. Um, the problem with Hashimoto's, this is a um, an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland tissue, uh, and the gland can get damaged. And, uh, and once it's damaged, um, the tissue doesn't usually re regenerate itself. Uh, possibly it, it might with repeated fast, it might wake up the stem cells. But by and large, um, you, know, you get this attack of Hashimoto's. It eventually subsides over months. And then it just depends how much functioning thyroid tissue you have left. And if you have enough to carry yourself, then you don't need to uh, uh, to take an external uh, thyroid replacement. But if so much of the gland to function has been damaged, then, then you've got to take uh, some thyroid supplementation. Uh, and um, I haven't seen personally um, any reversal there. In the theory, uh, repeated short fast, we're finding out when uh, when the body goes into the fasting state and there's ketones in the blood, the stem cells that regenerate our tissue and our bone marrow and uh, hair follicles all over the body, when they sense there's ketones in the blood, they kind of hunker down because there's oxidative stress come, coming in. So they build up with antioxidants and they slow down their metabolism. They get into this uh, state of conservation. Uh, then when the person starts to eat again, oh, the stem cells wake up again. And there were getting hints that the people with damaged pancreases, the type 1 diabetics, the stem cells in the pancreas might start churning out insulin again. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, well, if that's the case, how about the stem cells in the thyroid? Might they respond? Maybe. This is just theoretical. Mm -hmm. But but it might be that someone with Hashimoto's might benefit from repeated short fast, but there, but I have no studies indicating that, but that might be the only ray of light for, for that condition. Yeah. I mean, I, when you were talking about the stem cells, I was, I was wondering if a combination of um, fasting with actually stem cell therapy, and I know in the U S is not accessible unless it's a, um, a, 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 like a case study or um, a trial sadly, but there are a lot of locations where you can go for uh, medical uh, vacations where you can do uh, stem cell therapy, like in South America is huge, in Panama, Brazil, mm -hmm. um, Argentina. Um, so I wonder if there is that connection between maybe doing a fast and then helping with stem cell therapy. Um, but I think you actually also made me think about this. It's great while we're fasting, but what, what happens when we start eating again? Because if you made yourself sick, like I said, we can, what is the way forward? Because you can do a fast, but then what, what next? Well, another brilliant question. That's absolutely true. And, uh, and as we used to tell our patients at True North, um, uh, the fast is all wonderful. You get these, um, uh, you get these uh, great improvements in various organ systems. But by far the most important thing is what you eat after the fast. Because if you go back to your old diet, if you go back to burgers and buffalo wings, uh, the, whatever you were fasting for is going to come right back. Uh, and during the fast, we give these folks cooking lessons and, and nutrition lessons uh, because the, the fast just has to be a stepping stone into a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, that's really where the healing happens. The fast is just a fire extinguisher that, that puts out the inflammation temporarily. But the issue is, well, what when you start eating again, what is what are you going to be flowing through your tissues meal after meal? And as long as it's whole plant foods, the odds are that uh, your body's going to stay healthy. But if you start eating the, uh, the, the same old foods that cause the problem, that same old problem is going to come right back. So you're absolutely right. And there's an art to breaking the fast. Uh, uh, we usually do it uh, if it's been more than a week or so. Uh, we may uh, uh, we usually start them with vegetable broth and and steamed squash chunks, and uh, and move on to a vegetable soup and steamed vegetables, and then we add in uh, melon chunks and fruits, etc. Over the over the course of four or five days. So uh, again, if I have a video on my website on fasting. People are welcome to see that. Uh, then there, there's lots of good information these days. 
uh, about uh, about how to conduct a fast and what to eat afterwards. And that's really where the healing happens. You're absolutely right. Oh, beautiful. I will put everything in the show notes. That's so such great resources. Um, now, I, I a lot of people are getting cancer at the moment. It's one of the most um, skyrocketing diseases that we have. Uh, Lifestyle-related, um, environmental factors that affect us. You know, we are in a very polluted environment um, most of the time. Uh, whether they the spraying uh, the the farming is not done naturally anymore. I mean, we are really surrounded, and then a lot of people don't even understand the impact of the things they use in their homes to clean on their skin, and it becomes um, you know a mixing of different elements. So I know that cancer is a very complex subject because of these things. You really really have to dissect every part of your life and think what am I what am I doing that I can improve but when it comes to cancer how can a plant-based diet help in that case because we talked a lot about um, lifestyle related diseases um, and cancer can be but it's a little more complex because obviously it cannot happen over time and um, and we can't always pinpoint what it is that causes it in that moment in time um, so what is the approach when we use a plant-based diet for cancer Another important question. The uh, plant-based diet plays a great role, as you said, in preventing uh, many cancers because uh, uh, meat and dairy are filled with uh, hormones and leukemia viruses and substances that would promote cancer growth. Um, the beauty of a whole food plant-based diet is um, that it's moderately low in protein. Why is that important? Because when we eat a high protein diet, if you're eating meat and, and dairy and eggs, um, uh, you are flooding your liver with all these amino acids from the, from the meat and the dairy. And you flood the liver with, with uh, these amino acid building blocks, the liver thing, hmm, building block, let's build something with it. And in response, your own liver will put out a very powerful hormone called insulin-like growth factor one, IGF-1. And this promotes growth all over the body. And if you're a growing girl or growing child, yay, you want lots of IGF-1. But if you're a woman with a breast cancer or you're a guy with an early prostate cancer, the last thing you want is a diet that makes you walk around with high IGF-1 levels because it fans growth all over and it makes those cancers grow faster. It's throwing gasoline on a fire. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so right away, you've got a, a big benefit from a whole food plant-based diet because it results in lower IGF-1 levels. Um, and uh, I think that it's uh, without all the fat and oil and sugars and, and, uh, and growth promoters in the body, uh, the body's in a state, uh, it heals better, wounds heal better. And uh, the, we touched on the benefits of fasting. Well, we find out that one of the benefits um, of fasting is, uh, as we mentioned, they, uh, uh, that uh, fasting can potentiate medications. Well, that works with chemotherapy medications. When you're in a low-grade fast, if you do a three- or four-day fast, your own stem cells, they hunker down and they get in this state of protection. Cancer cells can't do that. They're just dumb old can. All they know is to divide, divide, divide. And, um, and then if you get, if the doctor deems that some Taxol or some chemotherapy agent is necessary, you'll get a much better response um, with either having been on a uh, on a whole food plant-based diet or even better, done a two or three day fast before the chemo. And I tell my patients, if you are, if you've got a chemotherapy or radiation therapy coming up, don't, don't tell the oncologist uh, the, they don't know what to do with it, but go in on day two of a water fast or day three of a water fast and you're going to get much better effect. Plus you'll have less nausea, less side effects from, from the medicine. So, and, and then when you start eating, make sure it's a very modest whole food plant-based diet afterwards there. So it goes very well as far as uh, both preventing cancers and, uh, and even in the treatment of cancers uh, and, uh, and, and not fanning the cancer fire by, uh, by promoting you know, lower levels of, uh, of IGF-1. So all the way around, uh, the folks who eat a uh, whole food plant-based diet are going to have fewer cancers and hopefully do better if they need treatment for them. 
And if people decide not to have chemotherapy and do things naturally, um, what is the, how can this affect, you know, the, those cancer cells versus the healthy cells? For example, we know that cancer cells have um, a, a bigger amount of uh, insulin receptors on them, which is why they love sugar and they, uh, they grow with, uh, you know, when we eat things that are not meant to be eaten, which is why it baffles me that oncologists say just eat whatever you want you not to lose weight uh, okay and um <laughs> so but by with that assumption that obviously can can the body heal and kill those cancer cells by not feeding them so they can they can we starve those cancer cells by being on a whole food diet with maybe fasting even um Yes, we at True North, uh, we had uh, we've had uh, several patients come in with lymphomas, uh, the cancers of the lymph cells, and uh, I had a patient. She had lymph nodes the size of hen's eggs under her armpits and her groin. Uh, she did a uh, almost a four week fast, and the the, the cancer cells just melted away. Uh, and uh, she came in for her volunteer three years later. She's still cancer free. Um, and th this was just the body marshalling its own uh, uh, forces uh, against the cancer cells. Now, lymphomas are different than carcinomas and sarcomas. You know, not all cancers, you know, will just melt away magically. Uh, but uh, the, the fact that this happens says the body has a huge anti, it's huge reservoir of healing energy that if you just get out of its way and just let it work for, for a prolonged period of time, remarkable things can happen. You know, fractures heal, burns heal, well, cancers uh, can as well. So, um, so again, a whole food plant-based diet with or without fasting is, is your best strategy if you're dealing with any kind of cancer. You know, you can't make any uh, wild guaranteed promises. But uh, it certainly makes common sense to, uh, to not feed the cancer, as you mentioned, and keep your diet lean and clean during cancer therapies. Absolutely. A lot of people are, um, they they kind of okay cutting meat out. You know, they, they say, yeah, I don't want to be cruel to the animals. I mean, there is cruelty in dairy products, but they're still emotionally attached to having dairy. And more than that, it's actually really addictive. Um, so dairy and eggs. And what is, and they think it's healthier than not having, you know, skin or flesh. Um, what is your opinion on that? And how can we change their minds so they actually understand that they're equally bad for us? Really? Uh, we've got this attachment to this secretion that comes out of a, the udder of a cow. But um, there's nothing in it that we need. Uh, we can get protein from grains and beans. We get calcium from the same place cows do. I mean, cows don't drink milk. Where mm -hmm. they get all that calcium from the green plants they eat, and that's why we should be eating lots of greens. So there's there's nothing in uh, dairy products that we need. There's a whole lot that we don't need. All the saturated fat and cholesterol and all the hormones. The cows are all pregnant these days uh, with modern dairy practice. Uh, so they're full of estrogens that uh, give women breast lumps and men prostate cancer. You know, they're, they're certainly uh, nutritionally unnecessary and unhealthy. And I ask my patients, you know, you know, it's baby calf growth fluid. I tell them, go, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror. You know, do you have a big snout with whiskers and big ears? Are you a baby calf? If you are, cool. You know, <laughs> your milk. But if you're not, then uh, you have no more need for the milk of a cow than you need the milk of a giraffe. You know, would you would you pour rat milk on your uh, on your cereal? Would you pour dog milk on, on your cereal? Would you drink moose milk? Well, what is our? Why do we think that this cow milk is somehow helpful for us? It's 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 not. And as you say, it's a cruel industry. Uh, well, you don't have to kill the cow. Yes, you do. The uh, uh, the, the dairy barn is a short stopping off place on the way to the slaughterhouse for a couple of years of calves and milk off these poor animals. And they're all shot in the head and turned into, into hamburger. Um, it's a slaughter industry and it, it involves taking those baby calves away from the mothers day after day to, uh, to, to take the milk from them. The, the, calf, the male calves are uh, all slaughtered for veal. It's, it's a bloody industry. And uh, this, this image that they give of the happy cows and the nice pure white milk, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's another lie that uh, we need to, to disassociate ourselves from. And nowadays, uh, if you look in the refrigerator case, at least in America, there's so many, uh, quote, dairy products 
that are that are made from plants these days all the 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 yogurts and the creams and the and the cheeses you know they're novelty foods you don't don't eat a lot of them but but just a splash of of milk on your cereal make it oat milk or hemp milk or some one of those other plant milks uh uh it's time to let the dairy industry go the same way as the fishing industry and all those other slaughter industries that we used to support um we 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 can do better than that yeah uh, every level And for people that counter argue that dairy, you know, when when I say, well, dairy is bad for you for these reasons, and that you just mentioned, and they're like, yeah, but what about soy? <laughs> soy is bad for you. <laughs> is it bad soy. for you? Um, the the <laughs> soy issue um, is, uh, I remember back in the 90s, as, um, as the uh, meat consumption began going down, the meat, because people were going to soy products, the meat industry unleashed this tsunami of misinformation. Ooh, soybeans, they've got phytoestrogens. Ooh, it'll turn your son homosexual. It'll, it's like putting your baby on birth control pills if you give them soy formula. Uh, and of course, none of this is true. And, um, and a couple of important things. One, it turns out that the phytoestrogens in soy are actually protective against breast tissue, uh, against breast cancers. Uh, the women who consume lots of soy have a lower incidence of breast cancer. Uh, and the opposite is true. The women who consume real dairy products have a, have a higher incidence of breast cancer. The, as I mentioned, the cows are all pregnant and the, the dairy products are filled with not these puny little phytoestrogens, but, a, but estrone, estradiol, estriol, pregnadiol, progesterone. The, the dairy products are filled with real mammalian estrogens. They are mm -hmm. active. Yeah, our little girls going through puberty at age eight and nine and 10. Could it have something to do with this river of milk and cheese and ice cream and yogurt that were full of estrogens that were telling them to pour down their throat there? Uh, and you follow these women, these young girls into adulthood, they get a nasty instance of breast cancer because they've been stimulating their breasts with estrogens from all these dairy products all these years. Um, for them to say, oh, phytoestrogens are evil. And, well, as they said, first of all, they're protective, actually. And compared to what's in dairy products, uh, there, there's no comparison. The, the soy is a, is, a, uh, is a healthy food. Uh, the countries that eat the most soy, Japan and China, have the lowest incidence of breast cancer. This whole idea that the phytoestrogens will give you cancer is just more propaganda from the meat industry. But we should not be deterred from that. No one's saying you eat two pounds of tofu every day. But, but a few times a week to crumple up some tempeh into your spaghetti sauce or to do a, a tofu uh, scramble and on a Sunday morning, uh, it's a lovely thing to do. Not, don't be afraid of soy products. Yeah, I think it's also because people have associated this uh, use of soy in a lot of um, processed foods because obviously it's become a commodity. And so, uh, but that's mostly GMO anyway, which you don't want to eat really. You want to get organic and, and, you know, locally grown. I mean, I'm, I'm growing my own edamame. They're not, they're not difficult to grow. <laughs> I know. No, it's, it's wonderful. Good for you. Good for you. And, uh, um, go ahead. you know, it's this concept that they think, oh, it's because it's bad for you. I heard it and no, it's GMO. Not all of oh, it's, 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 it's GMO. No, it's Just like not all corn is GMO, right? Like, right. The, thanks for mentioning the GMO, the genetically modified soy and corn. This is cattle feed. It, the humans aren't eating this stuff. This is genetically modified soy that they're shoveling down the gullets of these millions of pigs and cows and chickens. That's the GMO. All the more reason, because you don't want to eat the flesh of animals who've been fed on this GMO feed. Mm -hmm. But if you're buying, as you say, organic tofu in the uh, 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 tofu organic soybeans in the health food store, you're not getting GMO soy. Um, same thing with your tortillas. If it's organic corn, it's not GMO. So don't uh, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, it's all GMO. No, it's not. Yeah. That's that's for cattle feed, and all the more reason not to eat the, that or the or the cattle. Yeah. What what what's your opinion on organic versus traditionally grown food? What what do you think uh, we should do? Yes, um, I'm a big fan of organic, and um, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, of course, there's going to be less pesticides, uh, etc. 
there's some studies indicating if the soil is healthier as a good organic farmer should be focusing on getting that soil healthy. Well, there's going to be more vitamins and minerals taken up by the plants. I think the nutritional quality of the plants is certainly going to be better. Uh, but I, I have, I'm, it's a, it's an honor for me to, to pay the extra dollar to support those organic farmers who are going out of their way to take care of the soil uh, and, uh, and raise these relatively clean uh, fruits and vegetables. Um, the, now some of them, uh, depending on how they're, how it's defined, uh, you, they, one of the, uh, organic ingredients can be blood meal that they mix into the soil, uh, from the slaughterhouse. And then you that supports that industry. So the folks I really like to support are those who are growing their vegetables veganically rather than organically. The veganic ones only are using plant material plowed back into the soil. Uh, and uh, and if you're not buying steaks and chickens, et cetera, you've got, you've got some money left over. I'm happy to pay the extra dollar for the organic broccoli. Um, mm. and I feel good about supporting the farmers who are making that effort to raise it. So, uh, uh, so I'm a big fan of organic produce. Oh, you made a very good point because one other thing that people say is it's expensive to eat organic or to eat vegan or plant-based and it's totally not now it's of course it can become if you're starting to use all the vegan products that are mimicking your meat products because yeah of course they're going to take a lot more um you know money to make and but it's definitely not it's actually cheaper because your grains and your and your pulses are so cheap that's right? the point. Absolutely. The staple foods where you get your calories and your protein, potatoes are cheap, rice is cheap, quinoa is cheap, beans are cheap. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the, the staples uh, are cheap. And, you know, when in America, you, you know, for, for $10, you get a 20 pound bag of lentils. You can eat a month off of that. Uh, and um, as I said, you've got a few extra dollars. That's what you spend for produce, uh, for the f fresh fruits and vegetables. But the staples are cheap. That whole idea that it's expensive to eat that way just is not uh, not true as long as you're not spending it on a lot of uh, frivolous processed food. Yeah. So. Okay, I know we're almost out of time, so I have two questions for you. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what you eat in a day? What it's like for Dr. Clapper? What happens in the morning, lunchtime, and dinner time? <laughs> oh, my. Well... Uh, I'm an early riser. I usually get up around 5.30 or 6. Uh, every other morning, I have a stationary bicycle on in my living room there, and I uh, I start uh, pedaling, and I grab, uh, while I'm pedaling, two, uh, what would be six kilo, uh, seven kilo hand weights. And while I'm pedaling, I do an upper body workout, so I do that for 40 minutes, work up a good sweat, but it keeps me in shape. Um, and uh, because my wife is a yoga teacher, every other morning I do uh, uh, do some salutations to the sun to keep my uh, my spine limber. Uh, so that gets my morning off uh, to good start. Um, breakfast. If I'm not hungry, I just drink water uh, till I get hungry, and that may not happen till eleven or so, and that's fine. I'll just call it a uh, an intermittent fasting day. But if I'm really hungry, I'll have some uh, uh, some oatmeal, some porridge there with. Uh, all sorts of fruits and nuts on it, uh, and some oat milk or hemp milk. Uh, so that's breakfast. Um, and lunchtime, we always have a big salad in the refrigerator, and uh, we will uh, we'll all put some in a bowl, and we open up a can of beans and put it on the salad there, and uh, uh, and a no oil dressing. It's a great lunch, and that gets me all the way through to dinner. Uh, and dinner time, we'll have steamed veggies or soups, and uh, we do we eat a lot of soup, salads, and steamed vegetables, and. Uh, she makes wonderful uh, quinoa Buddha bowls, and uh, uh, so uh, eating is um, is a great joy, guilt free. Uh, and um, I love to get out in nature as much as possible. I'm an avid bird watcher, and you know, we really have lovely uh, uh, lovely creatures around here that I really love. Uh, and uh, and I enjoy travel. I'm going to be a lecturer on a vegan cruise to Iceland uh, in the next week, and wow. uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, uh, coming over to your continent there. And so uh, life is wonderful. And, and I teach the medical students uh, several times a week. Uh, and I'm, I've got, I'm healthy, happy, got love in my life. And, um, and last week I had a birthday. I just turned 75. Happy and, birthday. Uh, thank you. 
And I and I'm I'm stunned. You know, I was a young man. You know, two weeks ago, I don't know where this this white haired, white bearded guy in the mirror came from. But I feel great. I feel healthy. I'm not on any medicines. I, I don't have any aches or pains. And uh, and I attribute that to a uh, uh, to a whole food, plant based diet and lots of love and and laughter in my life. Yeah, you have a very young energy, and this is really the mirroring of this kind lifestyle and you know you mentioned your wife being a yoga teacher i am too and this this um ahimsa right this kindness and not doing any harm and that includes all living beings including ourselves and one of the things that always shocked me is how many yoga teachers eat meat and i'm like uh, what did we miss here um but thankfully not i didn't meet too many but enough to make me question but you know that is so important so i love that you have that and then i have one more question that's really important can you eat too many bananas too many bananas um i don't know probably not uh and uh i haven't had any chimpanzees come in my office saying i i think i overdosed <laughs> on bananas um and I don't, I don't think so. I think all the fiber you're eating would slow down the absorption. And I know there's a website, 30 bananas a day or something, and people do it. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it, it can be done. But uh, I but you wonder about the what you're doing to your microbiome, what kind of organism you're going to spawn there. Will that in the long term be healthy? I don't know. But uh, but try it for a few days and see, uh, see how you I'm feel. I'm addicted. I'm like, I don't need 30, but I definitely can go for five or six. And my husband keeps telling me it's too many. I'm uh, like, many it's not too many. <laughs> really. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. It's such a pleasure to have you here. It was a wonderful discussion. And um, yeah, so easy. I mean, the hour flew by. So thank you for helping to get this word out. You are a bright light of, uh, of knowledge and, and, and wonderful, loving energy there. And it's an honor to, to help uh, get this word out with you. So thank you very much. And best to you and your listeners. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Clapper. And thank you, everyone, for staying on for this episode, which I really feel is one of the best ones I had on the podcast. It's full of golden nuggets. And Dr. Clapper is wonderful at sharing information and teaching the information to us even if we're not aware of what's going on we can learn so easily from him because he's got such a beautiful way of explaining things so i really hope that if you don't know dr clapper you will get to know him now if you go into the show notes i've linked everything that is to know about him all his projects all his work so you can really dive into it please do educate yourself because that's your power to stay healthy and we can thrive in this lifetime in our beautiful bodies. So guys, I will see you next week. Please do share, like, comment and help us grow.